Well, tonight what we're going to do is begin a study on a defense of the gospel. Uh, this is uh, something that is uh, one of those, uh, I like my little soapbox. I've, I've enjoyed this since I was a teenager. I mean, that's been a couple decades, a couple decades ago. <laughs> I've been studying this for a long time. But anyway, it'll begin, we'll begin in the Bible and then, but we'll go into other aspects of evidence. And so I want to ask you, uh, what, uh, what happens in a courtroom to make you believe the defendant is guilty? What has to happen in a courtroom for you to believe that a defendant is guilty? Okay, you got to see or hear the evidence. Okay. Anything else? Sometimes you're persuaded based on how things are set up. Okay. All right. So sometimes there's persuasion in the room or how, how the evidence is presented. Uh, that's good. What is there a movie that comes to mind? Can you think of a television show maybe that has uh, this kind of... Uh, evidence uh, presented I know there's got to be some Georgia has one in mind I do <laughs> uh, and this is all this law. is yeah well, LA law <laughs> okay <laughs> Sorry. not LA law but it's I suppose that would work I don't know I uh, Perry Mason is what I was thinking of uh, okay. there's Thank another you. one a little more recent and it's really not that recent it's probably uh, before uh, kai was born but it was called jag uh remember jag uh he is the judge attorney general in uh, the uh, military uh and so it's a military type of show anyway they would present evidence and they would bring in witnesses and they would question witnesses and then the jury would have to look at the evidence and listen to the witness and decide, do I believe the witness? Is the witness lying? Is it true that everybody lies? And so you have to weigh all this information in order to reach a verdict. And then the worst part is uh, you have to go into a room with 12 other angry individuals because they should be at work. <laughs> and it's like, you got to decide, you got to, got to look at the evidence. You got to weigh the evidence. You got to talk about the evidence and then reach a conclusion based on the evidence. And so we don't have any trouble uh, with the, the court system in our, in our government. It's one of the best things about this nation. It's built on uh, a court system that says you're innocent until proven guilty. And so I want us to look at the scripture just like that. I want us to look at it as if we're we're weighing the evidence is it really worth believing is there any truth in the claims that jesus is the son of god is there any evidence that supports this uh is the bible his is god's word is it something that is supernatural or uh, can i just dismiss this and just go about my life and just do whatever i want to do and just uh, listen to anybody that tells me something different i can just go and do whatever i want and so let's look at let's look at it like uh, we're in a courtroom and let's look at it as if we're going to see if there's any evidence that supports the fact that the gospel is what it claims to be the good news that will save us uh, in the end uh, when we die and we meet the Lord. So 
Let's look at it like that. So let's begin with Philippians chapter one. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter one. And Paul is one of the greatest preachers of all time. He goes around and, and establishes churches uh, on these missionary journeys. And we find all this happening in the book of Acts. It's interesting that this particular book is written to the group of saints that are in, are in Philippi. Uh, Philippi is a uh, uh, great city in the, in the ancient time. Uh, was founded by the father of Alexander the Great. Uh, and so there's a lot of, of, of history in this particular town. And so we have, we have a, a book written to a group of saints. And here's what Paul says about his ministry as far as defending the gospel. Uh, read verses uh, uh, 12 through 16. Uh, have you got that low? Have you got uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 16? It's just three or four verses. Uh, go ahead and read those verses. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains with Christ. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter will do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And so Paul makes this claim. He says, this is why I'm here, for the defense of the gospel. And so if you can... Uh, just kind of put him in that uh, that that witness box in that courtroom in that courtroom in your mind, and then imagine the different scenarios, the different scenes where Paul is in fact defending the gospel. And so we're going to just look at a few passages. Turn back a few pages to the Book of Acts, uh, chapter nine. Uh, this is a, a fascinating passage. He has just been converted. Uh, he has uh, just come, really come out of that uh, watery grave of baptism. He has decided to, to preach the gospel and, and go into all the world, just like Jesus has commanded. And he says, this is why I'm here to proclaim Jesus. That's about verse 20. But look at what it says in verse 22. Tina, read verse 22 of chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Read that. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Confounding the Jews and proving that Jesus is the Christ. It's like, hmm. All right. So here Paul is, is doing the very thing that we're going to try to do in the next few weeks. We're going to try to prove uh, that Jesus is Christ. We're going to try to prove that this is really something uh, worthy of our belief, worthy of our time. And it's a proof system similar uh, to our courtroom uh, where we bring in witnesses, credible witnesses, and we listen to their witness and we say, we can determine based on uh, our God-given abilities of intelligence. And we can say, I'm going to look at the evidence and I'm going to draw a conclusion based on the evidence. And so from chapter 9, verse 22, uh, here he is before Jewish leaders. He's confounding 
the Jews. Uh, when, when someone is said to be confounding another person, what is the meaning of that word confounding? Leaving them speechless. All right, leaving them speechless. Okay, baffling. All right. And so uh, it, sometimes that that's happens. And maybe you're in class, maybe you're there in school learning uh, from a, a learned professor and he can confound you with his knowledge because he's just incredibly intelligent. It's like, boy, it just blows you away. It's like, man, that guy's impressive or that gal has, has really got it going on. And we're, we're sometimes we're confounded. Uh, sometimes we'll drop the class because it's just too much for us. It's like, I'm not taking that class. Uh, and so those are some things to think about. When Paul is confounding the Jews, he's baffling them. He, they can't respond. There's, there's no other response than the conclusion that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now, it wasn't just uh, in a courtroom scene where it's all, you know, it's all done properly and in order. But look at uh, chapter 16 of that same book, Acts chapter 16, and about verse 19. Kai, if you can, find uh, uh, chapter 16 and read from 19 to 22 and uh, listen to how uh, Paul handles this scenario. 16, 19 to 22. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the um, magistrates, yep. they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept that or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rocks. Okay, that's like, thankfully, uh, that has never happened to me. Uh, after one of my sermons, I've never been uh, dragged out, out in the street and beaten with rods yet. I'm sure it's coming, uh, but it you know, hasn't happened yet. And so this is interesting. This is an angry mob. I mean, you think about uh, you think about this idea of, of proclaiming the gospel and proving that Jesus is Christ, and this is your audience. I mean, this isn't some courtroom where it's everything's proper and there's order and decorum. It's an angry mob. And Paul has to prove uh, his case. He's got to prove it, and he does it uh, with with a with a master. I mean, he's a master uh, logician. He really comes through, uh, and he's quite the lawyer, actually. Uh, but it's interesting to think that in, even before angry mobs, and if that wasn't enough, uh, he goes right to the top. I mean, we we often hear people say, "Well, preachers shouldn't be involved in politics, and we shouldn't." Um, be messing around and and uh, worried about what's happening in our in our society, but here Paul says, "I'm I'm going to go right to the king. <laughs> I'm going to go right to the top dog in the whole society. I'm going to go to King Agrippa." Now turn over to Acts 26. Uh, here uh, he says in the first couple of verses, Agrippa, uh, verse one of chapter 26, said to Paul. You are permitted to speak for yourself. And Paul stretched out his hand, proceeded to make his defense. Paul says, in regard to all the things of which I'm accused by certain Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today. And so here is 
Paul's defense of the gospel. And he says, this Jesus whom you crucified is who we claim to be. He claimed to be the son of God. He is, and there's proof of it. And he makes a defense. And so before Jewish leaders, before angry mobs, before the king himself, I mean, this is the top of the society. I mean, this is the king. And so all of this, his situation changed often, but his message never changed. He never backed down. He never uh, said, well, this really doesn't make any sense. I don't really believe it myself. He, uh, you know, the science of the day, you know, is like it's talking something different. And he never made those uh, compromises. He always stuck to the defense of the gospel. Now, if Paul can defend the gospel, uh, there are some of us that have good reason to believe in the existence of God in uh, the reasons that we serve him in the very fabric of of our of our soul of our being uh, is christianity and there's good evidence to support that it's readily available it's rooted in historical fact uh, the uh, evidence is verifiable uh, when when you went to easter service did you guys go to easter service back a few months ago did you go to easter service all right, what did you celebrate at Easter service? Easter Bunny. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> That's a negative. Okay. I, I, I've shot those bunnies in the backyard <laughs> on purpose. Okay. <laughs> they stole those eggs and I'm going to shoot them. No. <laughs> All right, somebody try to help my sister because we don't celebrate Easter with a bunny. What do we celebrate? What do we what do we go to Easter service for? All right, the resurrection of Christ. It's like of all the events in history, and you, you think about just your history, just the time you've been alive, and think about all the things that have happened in your lifetime. The one thing that is more important than any event in history is the resurrection of Christ. And it is the most attested fact in history. We have hostile witnesses. We have uh, martyrs as witnesses. We have uh, Jesus himself as a witness. We have witness upon witness upon witness. And the evidence is verifiable. And so my faith is based on evidence. It's not some leap in the dark. That's foolish. Uh, that's I wouldn't do that. There might be a whole room full of pitchforks. I'm not going to jump into a dark room. Uh, that's ridiculous. My faith is a look into the dark, and I know what's there because God told me. And it's like that, that idea of heaven the only reason I believe it exists is because he said it exists. And so my faith is a look into the dark. I've, I've never been there, but I can look over there and I can see it in my mind's eye because God said it's there. And so my faith and a faith of a, a Christian needs to be based on evidence and that those evidences then begin to stack up and then our faith becomes uh, solidified because of the evidence and then we can make a, a decision or a, a choice 
and say, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe that he does exist. I'm going to believe that he did send his son. I'm going to believe that there is a place for me after this life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to ask uh, the, the members of our class, we're going to say, okay, honest and sincere, open-minded people who take the time to look, and that's what we're doing tonight and the next couple of weeks, <clears throat> we're going to find really one viable option. God lives and communicates with us through his word, which we call the Bible. And this uh, word provides truth that can make us free, can set us free. And so that's our objective. Christianity, if I was to ask you to describe uh, Christianity, what would, what would your answer be? Can you define Christianity? All right, that's good. That's a very good start. Faith in Christ, faith in Jesus. And it's a system that involves a, a belief system where we say, I'm going to change my whole lifestyle and I'm going to follow his lead. And so this, this system of Christianity is the, the only true religion uh, sent from God. Jesus himself says, I am the way the truth and the life it's not a way or a truth it's the one i mean there's one truth there's one way and jesus says i'm it and so this system is this true religion of god and so as christians uh, we are called upon like paul to defend this system so somebody says to you if you're a christian let's say chloe Someone comes up to you and says, why do you believe what you believe? What do you say to them? Okay, and so you can begin with the Bible. That's great. You say, well, because of here's what it said. And so we start with that. And so that's kind of what we're doing tonight. We're looking at the scripture. We're saying, this is why I believe what I believe. And so we're going to start there. And then this will help others who are non-Christians uh, to realize the validity of it and recognize this one true system, this idea of Christianity, and then it will bring them into a relationship uh, with Christ. And it will help us, uh, the older ones who have been Christians uh, or have uh, looked at it before in their life, we can strengthen our faith based on this evidence. So what I want to do tonight is look at what faith looks like, what faith in uh, Christ really looks like. And it's a, it's a convoluted system. If I ask you uh, what uh, is involved in faith, uh, what are some of your answers? If I say what's involved in faith or what is faith in God, what is that? Okay, so the word faith and belief, those are, those are synonymous. Okay, so believing uh, some, some truth that's set forth in the scripture. What else? That happen around you, like from day-to-day -day life. So like interactions with people, whether it's like people you have relationships with in your family or also people, like random people in the grocery store, seeing Jesus work through them. 
Okay, okay. So you start to see those uh, the fruit of of their belief system based on how they're they're treating others, how they treat you. Uh, they've listened to Jesus. They say uh, the golden rule. They kind of live by that golden rule. What is the golden rule again? What was that? Do unto others as you would have them. So you start to see that in their lifestyle. That's very good. And so there's that response. Uh, there's so many things. Uh, that are involved in in biblical faith and so let's look at two or three passages and then we'll add it all up and say this really is uh, a pretty good selection of what true faith looks like so john chapter 9 uh, in the gospels there's a man who was born blind uh, I don't think his name was Mr. Magoo, but it could have been. Uh, he uh, was stumbling around in the dark, couldn't see, was born that way. And his disciples kind of felt sorry for him. They're walking along. They see this blind man begging. And they say, was it his sin or was it his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? And you know what Jesus said? Neither. <laughs> That's inaccurate thinking. And his disciples were like some of our religious leaders today. They say, oh, you're born in sin. It's like, no, that's, Jesus goes, no, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. He said, this man was born blind so that God can be given the glory at his uh, healing. It's like, oh, really? And so in John chapter 9, something happens to this man. Jesus happens. And it's interesting to think. Uh, that this guy that had never seen anything in his life is now seeing. So let's read a few of these verses. Uh, let's see, who did I ask before? Kai, or let's see, Chloe, read verses 3 uh, through 5. Read those three verses, chapter 9, verse 3 through 5. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of Sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, so here is the whole reason for this healing. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. What do, what do eyeballs do? What do they do? Well, they let light into the body. And there's about a million uh, connections between your eye and your brain. All right. Think about that for a second. Each one of those connections has to be perfect, a perfect match in order for it to work. Uh, as we get older, uh, this will be a, a shocker for Kai and Chloe. But as you get older, your eyesight starts to diminish. And so it's like pretty soon we're looking at surgery, maybe LASIK, maybe some eye drops are doing all kinds of cool stuff with eyeballs. But imagine a million connections from your eye to your brain in order for you to be able to tell my shirt's blue in order to tell that i've got salt and pepper you know mustache it's like yeah you can see all this detail because light is coming into your brain into your body and it's being translated by this amazing brain and it's like this is this is way beyond an accident this is amazing uh so here's why Jesus healed this man, he said, 
I'm the light of the world. I want you to know that. That's the key to this whole thing. Now, what I want you to see is the controversy that occurs because of those individuals that don't want to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And so look, skip on down to verse 24. They've already questioned him once. They said, what happened? And the blind man that was healed, he said, this man made some mud and he put it in my, put it in my eye and I went and washed in the pool and now I can see. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty simple. I mean, it was pretty straightforward. And they questioned him again, verse 24. Uh, Tina, read verse 24 uh, down to about verse, uh, let's see. Uh, we knew the guy down to 34. So go 24 to 34. It's kind of a long reading, but listen to this carefully. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Hmm. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And so what I want you to see from this passage, this man was incredibly brave. These are like our Supreme Court justices today. And imagine going into that room with those men and women and then being bold enough to say, this man healed me. You can call it whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. But one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. And I want you to see that sometimes faith has to involve courage. Sometimes we are, we're going to feel like we're alone and we're the only ones that are going to stand for what God has said. And you turn on the TV and these, all these homosexual shows and all these different problems that we're seeing in the, in the, in our society. And it's like, sometimes you have to stand up against evil and you may feel like you're the only one, all right? You're not the first one that's going to happen to you, and you don't be the last one. This man stood up with courage. All right, so let's look at another aspect of faith and look at 1 John, or excuse me, John chapter 3 uh, and verse 36. This is another uh, display of faith uh, by an old man named Nicodemus, but in verse, or chapter 3, verse 36, of John. Uh, here's what uh, John has to say. Uh, and Nicodemus is, is kind of in the same, it's in the same context. Uh, but uh, John 3.36 says, he who believes in the Son 
has eternal life. Oh no. But he who does not, sorry, I can't, all right. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And what we want to see here is 